a dear friend of mine. Some of you have heard me tell stories about my group of lady preachers um, that I run with, and Jenny Vang is one of those lady preachers. Um, we uh, met in this last year and have just really enjoyed a uh, fellowship. Jenny is a Bethel Seminary student. She's working on her MDiv um, with a concentration in transformational leadership, which I wish that my MDiv had a cool uh, tag on to it like that. Um, Jenny is also serving alongside of a um, team of people who are planting a new covenant church called North City Church. And um, she'll get to, if you, after service, you can ask her more about what that looks like and how that has been. Um, but we are honored to have Jenny here to share um, her heart. She preached this sermon as a part of the uh, Omark preaching competition at Bethel Seminary, and she was the winner this year. And so we asked her to come and um, share that sermon with us in this time. So would you join me as we pray for Jenny? Gracious God, I thank you so much for the gifts that you have um, bestowed upon Jenny, God. Pray that you would speak through her this morning, God, as she um, digs into your word, as she tells her story. God, would you um, use that in our lives, God? Would you transform us this morning as we hear your word preached? We pray all these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. Thanks, Alicia. Well, it's so great to be here this morning with you, not just to be here, but because like Alicia said, I am a pastoral intern at North City Church, which we're planting in the Victory neighborhood in Robbinsdale. And it's been a delight to just to be a part of that. I never thought I'd be a church planter, but lo and behold, here I am. And we're launching next Sunday uh, for our first preview service. So if you think of it, please be praying for us in that time. But I, this morning, I'm thankful to be here uh, just to, to be a part of new communities. I love seeing what God is doing across the Twin Cities and different local communities, knowing that we are one body together. So I would actually love to pray for us one more time before we dive in. So pray with me. Jesus, we're so thankful for you. We're thankful that because of your life and death and resurrection, that we have life, that we have community together as one body. This morning, Jesus, would you, would you speak through me? Spirit, would your, your voice intercede in places, God, where we need to hear from you this morning? Would words fall on fresh soil that fruit might be born out of, of what we experienced this morning. So we love you, Lord. Pray that these things be done in your name for your glory that we might see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We love you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, a couple months ago, back this spring, I took about a month-long break from social media. And the longer that I've been on social media, the more that I realize that for a lot of people, it really is a place where they're willing to talk about and maybe even argue about pretty much anything. So if you're an Instagram user or on social media, you might know that at the beginning of the year in January, there was this account on Instagram created called World Record Egg. I have a picture of it. It's a little bit strange. But this was, so th this is the only, this is the first picture they posted. And this was, this was the, the caption. It read, let's set the world record together and get the most liked post on Instagram beat the current world record held by Kylie Jenner, who's a celebrity, uh, at 18 million. We got this. Okay, well, first of all, I love that this caption ends with, we got this, you know, as if it's like the whole world's goal in life to, to beat this record. But, but this photo currently has 53.2 million likes and 3.1 million comments. And so I, I started scrolling through some of these comments and saw that there was an account created called World Record 
eggplant. And so, and so I, I kept reading, and, and it, people proceeded to have real heated arguments about whether the egg or the eggplant deserved more likes on social media. So my point is that I was reading stuff like this and wondering, like, why is this the most important thing right now in people's lives to like this photo, to like the egg or the eggplant? And I was reading these things and realizing that I was thinking about this, and then it would just cause me to think about the, the real conflict in the world, the division in the world. And I started to feel really anxious and like tense and uneasy. And so I realized that I kept feeling this so much that I needed to take a break from social media. And when I started the break, I realized that it wasn't just a break from social media, but a break from the way that people were interacting with one another on social media. And if you're anything like me, you're an optimist, and you look at the division around you and you wonder if this is our new normal. You look at conflict in the world, you read the news, you read news articles, you read social media, and you wonder if, if public shaming and defamation are our new native language, if it's our new posture. And it kind of causes you to, to tense up yourself. And more than anything, you might be asking, does God see does God see the lack of peace? Does he see the division in the church? Does he see that our world is in chaos? And you ask yourself the question, what difference does Jesus' life, death, and resurrection make in this anxious and divided and chaotic world today? And what role do we play in that? What role do I play in that? So to dive into this a little bit more, I want to open up to the book of Ephesians. So if you have your Bibles with you or maybe an app on your phone, turn with me to Ephesians 2. And as you turn there, I want to provide us with a little bit of context of where we're entering into God's story here. So the Apostle Paul is, the Apostle Paul is a Jew, and he's writing to the Ephesians, who are also known as Gentiles. Now this word Gentile means non-Jew. And the reason why this word existed was because to the Jews or his chosen people, God gave the law or Torah. And the law or Torah was a set of commands and regulations that if that went in following them, that the Israelites, the Jews, would receive God's blessing. So it wasn't actually, uh, it wasn't actually about legalistic things. It, it wasn't about just obeying all these rules. In actions, it was, but it was ultimately about as they followed these commands and regulations, they would be set apart as God's people. They would be set apart as God's people to serve and fulfill the calling that God had placed on their lives to be a blessing to all the nations. But this begins to change a little bit. This narrative begins to change a little bit when Jesus enters the, enters the story through his earthly ministry. And what Paul is saying to the Ephesians in chapter 1 and leading up to, to, chapter, to, to chapter 2, verse 13, he says to the Ephesians, this is who you were before Christ. You were, you were strangers to God. You were not a part of God's family. But now in Christ, you've been brought near by the blood of Jesus. And that's where we pick it up in verse 13. Read with me. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. 
He came and preached peace to those who were far away, that's the Gentiles, and peace to those who were near, that's the Jews. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Now, there's a lot packed into this passage, but what I want to look at first is this phrase, wall of hostility. Now, the wall of hostility, Paul is referring to the Jewish temple in the outermost court of the Jewish temple is, no, is something known as the court of the Gentiles. And this delineated the only place in the temple that Gentiles were allowed to go. Anything further towards the center of the temple where God's presence dwelt, anything further was permitted only to Jews. And so when Paul says wall of hostility, he's not saying that there was like a sign in the temple that says like, you're now entering the wall of hostility. That's, that's not what he was saying here. He's referring to an, the reality that this, this barrier likely created a relational wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles. And so you can imagine that decades and centuries and centuries of this narrative was their life. And you can imagine the confusion that set in when Paul started to tell people, when Paul was telling the Jews and the Gentiles, in this case the Ephesians, that they were now one together as the people of God, that they were no longer foreigners and strangers to each other and no longer foreigners and strangers to God. And the reality here is that when Paul says you've been brought near by the blood of Christ, he's also likely referring to the fact that, most importantly, the Gentiles could now be in relationship with God, not because they were following a set of commands and regulations and by their own excellence and perfection, but because of Christ himself, because of what Christ did. His death and his resurrection fulfilled the law which the Jews were meant to be able to, which the Jews were meant to follow in order that they would be set apart. So the calling on the Jews and the Gentiles together was still the same. Together they were still the people of God, ambassadors to the world, to all the nations, to be a blessing. And so when Jesus died on the cross, the wall of hostility also died, so to speak. And when Jesus raised a new body back to life, what came out of that was one new body, one new humanity. Jews and Gentiles, which, was, which were separate before, were now one, made one. And when he says one new humanity, he's not saying, that doesn't mean one culture, one ethnicity, one race. In fact, it's the opposite. They're, the Jewish and, and Ephesian ethnic identities were still, were still very much 100% intact. But it meant that those things, their cultural differences now together, they were the people of God. They were recipients still of the blessings that God would bestow on them. Again, not because they were following a set of rules and commands, but because of Jesus and the life that he lived in them. And it's in this heart that Paul says, you're no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens and members of God's household and family. They no longer needed a, a wall, a relational wall or, or a temple to delineate their relationship with one another. This was now the new narrative. For the, for the people of God. The new narrative was now, together you're the people of God. Together you, you are being built up into the temple, rising up, being built up together. Together now they would seek to be 
the source of peace in the world because Jesus himself was their peace. So what did, what, did it, what did it mean for them and what does it mean for us that Jesus himself is our peace? Jesus himself is our peace, first of all, is not that we are without anxiety or worry in the world. It's not that there's no chaos because we already know that's a reality in our lives. Jesus himself as their peace meant, meant that and means for us now that we don't have to conjure up peace from circumstances or other people or contexts in our lives. Peace does not come from anything outside of us. Peace comes from Jesus himself who embodies it. Jesus himself is our peace. Not what he can give us, not the words that he speaks, even though those things do provide us with peace. It's the person of Jesus himself that is our peace. And it's the, in Jesus himself is our peace that gives us the courage to be peacemakers. And that's part of the calling, right? Part of the calling is to be peacemakers. And, and before I dive a little bit more into what that means, I also want to differentiate between peacekeeping and peacemaking. So peacekeeping is pretty passive, actually. It doesn't require action. When there's conflict there, it just peacekeeping means you look at it and you leave it as it is. So for, for the Ephesians, if, Paul, if Paul's saying all these things, peacekeeping would have been them saying, great, we're people of God, uh, but we're not going to engage the Jews. We're just going to stay where we are. That would have been peacekeeping. But peacemaking, by nature, requires conflict. It requires stepping into the conflict. And when I say that it requires conflict, I don't mean that it requires us to go look for conflict. It means that when we encounter conflict, that we call it out, out of courage, because Jesus is our peace. But our identity does not come from how people respond to what we call out, but our identity comes from Christ himself. Peacemaking means we call out this twisted reality that 53.2 million people are willing to band together, strangers are willing to band together to like a picture of an egg to beat some random record which holds of no value at all, actually. <laughs> the people are, 53.2 million people are willing to do that. And yet, as the body of Christ, as, as people, we are unwilling to sit across the table from one another and have a real conversation and truly listen. We call out that, that reality, not because we're trying to shame anyone, because that's not the way God intended it. God did not intend for us to choose conflict, but instead to step in to be peacemakers, regardless of the outcome to step in to be peacemakers. Peacemaking means what Paul says in verses 19 through 22, to rise together and be built together as the body of Christ into the holy temple. And, and I don't know about you, but I've never seen a building being built without like chaos, like scaffolding and cement and dust everywhere. But that, that, that process is needed in order for a building to become what it's meant to be. And the same is true of us as the body of Christ, it's messy. It has to be, right? And, and we all know we've lived it in some way, shape, or form, whether in the church or just in the world. We know that trying to be one, united as people, as Christians, is not easy. We know that it's messy. But because Jesus himself is our peace, we know that it's worth it. Is Jesus worth it to you to step into peacemaking? Earlier, I posed the question, what difference does Jesus' life, death, and resurrection on the cross make in this anxious and divided world that we live in? 
And what role do we play in that? To live as the people of God means knowing that because Jesus himself is our peace, we are called to be ambassadors of peace who seek to bring it to the world and to others. And I'm not, when I say peace, I'm not talking about a kind of peace that's like butterflies and rainbows all the time. I'm not talking about this like ambiguous world peace. I'm talking about a very real peace that goes beyond comprehension like Paul talks about in Philippians. That when we look at it, it, it we don't understand how peace can exist when there's the circumstance of, of chaos and anxiety. I'm talking about the kind of peace that is incongruous to the chaos of your own mind, of your own heart. And I'm talking about a kind of peace that goes beyond anything we can explain and a kind of peace that ultimately produces wholeness in us, in the church, in the world. So what does this look like for us today? What does it look like for us today to live into this? One of the most practical things that I think we can do is to practice living in discomfort and, and tension in healthy ways. So if, if you're like me and you're a social media user, something that I do is I follow people on social media that I disagree with. And anytime they post something that kind of like drives me up the wall, <laughs> I stop and I pray for them. If I don't feel like I can pray for them, I, I remember that they are more than what they post. They are more than what they post. And... They are image bearers, not because I think that they are or because I see it in them or because they think they bear the image of God, but because God says that they do. And as fellow image bearers, we have no right to mar that in someone else, no matter what they've done. And that is a part of living as peacemakers, is being able to self-differentiate what, what requires justice and accountability and what is us needing to look at someone and say, I cannot choose to mar the image of God in this person because it only gives people permission to mar it in me. And so practically, if, you don't, if you're not on social media, maybe it means uh, your coworker or family member who is hard to live in conflict with, you step towards that person in whatever way makes sense to you. And, and I wish that I could give you these bullet-pointed answers, but the point of peacemaking is that it requires actual, actual work, not just understanding it in our heart, but actions. And another thing we can do is to find, and I think this is more important, I would say, is to find a safe place, safe people. Alicia's one of these people for me, to find safe people who you can speak with candidly and openly about everything that causes tension in your life that you feel conflict over, whether it's a topic or a person, you find safe people so you can speak without fear of judgment from them. And I'm not just talking about, you know, venting or, or talking for cathartic reasons, but to find these safe places where people, the people, who the, the, the people you choose to be in community with for this reason, it's important to know that they are also living lives of being peacemakers, because that's the one way that you will be able to move from just wanting to vent about life and into a productive way of being a peacemaker as God calls us to be. You know, I said earlier that I took a break from social media because I needed to take a break from the way people were interacting with one another. But what I actually needed a break from was the way that people were interacting on social media about the topic of race and ethnicity in America today. And this isn't a message about 
social media or, or even race and ethnicity, but it's about what causes conflict. And for me, that's what it was. You see, I've been on this journey over the last three or four years of trying to discover what it means that God looks at my race and my ethnicity and considers it a blessing and not a burden. But I was reading these things on social media, these comments, but it, I was reading it thinking, it's my, I feel like my, who I am is just a burden to someone. Their discomfort, they don't know how to sit in it. And it felt like for me, they were looking at my life saying, you're a burden to me. Simply by being who I am or being created as I am. In every comment that I read, it felt like I was putting, it was building up the wall of hostility again, brick by brick. Every comment, that's what it felt like. And so I wanted to retreat. I wanted to retreat and, or retaliate, because sometimes that's easier than retreating is retaliating. Both of those are unproductive now that I think about it. And when I'm looking back, I realize that a lot of these innocent mistakes or comments that were made, whether it's intended or not, I still had the power to respond in a way that would be peacekeeping or peacemaking or retaliating. And during this break, I, this break from social media, which just was a, about a month long, I thought of this conversation I had back in January with some good friends of mine. I have a picture of us. And this was back in, this was in California. And I sat with these women for five hours. And we talked, as women of color, we talked about the pains and the burdens and the joys and the excitement of what it looks like to be a woman of color in America today, seeking to love Jesus and be his ambassador in the world. And I want to be honest with you, we spoke with no filter, and it was really good for my heart to be able to do that. Not, again, not just for cathartic reasons, but because these are women who are choosing to be peacemakers in the world, pushing me towards Jesus, knowing that it's hard, but worth it because of the person of Jesus as our peace. We were leaning into what Paul says in 20 to 22, being built together. This is a picture of being built together, leaning in, to, to Jesus as a chief cornerstone rather than leaning into the wall of hostility. And you know, more than anything, what I have learned, what I learned in that break was that Jesus is my greatest companion, who I can go to without fear of judgment, who I can speak to without fear of judgment, with no filter, knowing that he will respond with kindness, but ultimately will lead me back to who I am as a peacemaker to be who I am meant to be as an image bearer. And let me be clear here, I'm not saying I don't have boundaries. I'm not saying that I'm best friends with everyone and I engage all conflict and all points of tension in the world because we're healthier people when we set boundaries. And if I pulled this room, I would say that we would have hundreds of valid reasons why we don't engage certain contexts or people or places. Because there are things that will just be destructive to our own spiritual, emotional, mental, maybe, maybe even physical lives. And this is why we need the right people in our lives. To help us differentiate when we're just trying to, when we're trying to retreat. People to tell us, hey, you're retreating a little bit. Let's come back this way. Let me help you. Let me help you understand what it looks like to move forward. Because the tension that you feel over certain things, conflict in the church, conflict in the world, that can coexist with being a peacemaker. You don't have to figure out the, 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 topic, the topic or the, the context or the news article before you choose to be a peacemaker about it. 
But on the flip side, we cannot be so caught up in calling out division and disunity that we become the very people who build up the wall of hostility again, especially in the church. And we cannot call ourselves peacemakers only to hide behind a screen or behind our emails and our text messages, whatever it might be, because that's easier. Again, it's good and it's, and it's, it's, good and it's right to talk about these things for cathartic reasons, because we all know that when we keep things inside and then they just come out, oftentimes it doesn't come out well. And so it's accountability as well. You know, but Jesus, his, his death and resurrection may have been miraculous, but we still live in a broken world, which means we, we have to be able to know, we, we must know what it looks like to live in that, to live in, not defined by that brokenness, but living in the midst of it, seeking to restore it to restore the kingdom of God. You know, when I think about the time that Paul is writing this letter, I imagine that in a very fresh way, that the Ephesians, were, the Ephesians and the Jews were still learning what it looks like to, to live together. And I, I imagine that there was a lot of conflict and arguing and broken relationships. I imagine that there were a lot of unproductive things that happened as they chose to figure out what it looks like to do life together. But I also imagine that it started some, somewhere as simple as, you know, someone knocking on the other person's door saying, hey, you know, the history of our people has been just a lot of hostility. Um, but I know that we both believe in this Jesus. We both believe that he died, he lived a life. He lives in us now. And we're called to be a blessing to the nations. Because we both believe that do you just want to come over for a meal or something? I have to believe that that's where it started. Not only because that's optimistic, but because we are here today. We are evidence of a group of people who chose to do life alongside each other despite the chaos of their, the world, despite the differences in their cultures and their, their ethnicities and the ways that they did life. Men and women, we are here today because 2,000-some years ago, Jesus lived a real life. He died a real death. He, and he resurrected. And he ascended to a real heavenly place where he now sits, seated at the right hand of the Father, given all authority on heaven, in heaven and on earth. And it's because of this reality that the Jews and the Ephesians and the Jews and the Gentiles found the courage to step in and believe Jesus as their peace. And because this group of Jews and Ephesians chose to step in, hundreds upon thousands of disciples have been released into the world as peacemakers, you and I being some of those people. We are the fruit of people who said, okay, I'm uncomfortable, but I'm leaning in. What will you do? What will we do being entrusted with that still today? Will we choose to lean in for the fruit of people who we don't even know yet? who will come hundreds of years after us. Not because we want to be, you know, the best generation of the church. Sure, that, that'd be great. <laughs> but because Jesus calls us to be a blessing to the nation. It is bigger than us here today. It is bigger than just us living here and trying to figure out life and trying to do church, whatever that even means. Because the same Jesus who died on the cross and the same Jesus Paul refers to is the same Jesus we serve today. He's no different. The blessing and the call, the blessings and the calling is still the same. We're still called 
to fight the desire to create a wall of hostility or to build it back up between people, especially in the church. In Hmong, which is the language and culture and heritage of my people, the word one in this context is gong, ilusha, which directly translates to to be of one heart, to be of one heart. And this is my prayer that as we leave from here, that in every interaction, at work, in church, on social media, as you read the news, that that would be our reality. That we would choose first to be peacemakers who lean in trusting Jesus as the chief cornerstone, trusting him as our peace. Because the peace that we long for, the courage we long for, to be able to step in to the tension that we feel, we don't have to find it because it already lives in us through Jesus, through his spirit. And it's because of that that I really believe that we can be a body that seeks to be of one heart. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you sent your son, that the life and death of Jesus gives us the ability to be peacemakers. And God, we confess that we are scared and we wonder what it really looks like to lean in as peacemakers because we've seen it fail. We've seen it not go well. But God, would we not be defined by what may or may not be, but would we be defined by pe- as a people who seek to be set apart as your people, to be a blessing to the world, to the nations? And God, we are thankful that long ago, men and women decided to do the same so that we could be here today seeking also to do the same. Jesus, you are our strength, you are our peace, you are our courage. Would you give us the ability to be brave and step in, to be people who are culturally humble? Jesus, we love you so much and pray that these things would be done in your name for your glory, that we might see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We love you, Jesus. Amen.